0: Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are returning to Harry Potter, and we're looking at the series through the theme of commitment.
1: Before we get into that analysis, we did want to touch on the comments that JK Rowling has been in the news for making lately, where she has been kind of doubling down on many of the transphobic things she said throughout the years. And we just want to acknowledge that. And we understand that there's many fans of the series who are understandably very affected by this, and that their reading of the series is also very affected by this. We wanted to just out there that, that as we continue to analyze Harry Potter in our podcast, we'll continue to do so in the way that we have attempted to do so throughout, which is in a socially just manner and an intersectional manner that highlights the compassionate and loving messages that often do come out of the series, while also holding the content of the series and the narrative responsible for when it is problematic and when it when it doesn't rise up to the level that we should expect it to.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But with that, we are going to discuss a little bit about commitment in Harry Potter, starting off with a quote.
0: Yeah, so this quote comes from the final book. Harry has gotten some of Snape's memories and he views them on, in the Pensieve and this is a conversation that happens between Dumbledore and Snape about Harry having to die to get rid of that last part of Voldemort's soul. And so Snape says,
1: I have spied for you and lied for you, put myself in mortal danger for you. Everything was supposed to be to keep Lily Potter's son safe. Now you tell me you've been raising him like a pig for slaughter.
0: Yeah, that would, that would be a blow.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, talking about commitment, Snape lays it out here of all the work that he's done, where he's, he's yeah, he's been in huge danger being a spy on both sides and being right next to the most powerful le- legilimens in the world, probably, and doing it all in the way that Dumbledore first told him, which was going to be to honor Lily's ma- memory and keep her son safe. And here he's finding out that it was to keep him safe, but at least to the knowledge that he understands, safe so that he could possibly die at the opportune time.
0: Definitely. And it's not just, oh, I could have died, but, like, I could have been tortured for Mm -hmm. whoever knows how long because Voldemort would not have taken that well if Mm he had found out while Snape was still alive. And not only is it putting himself in danger and all of that, but also kind of devoting his entire life to this. Yeah, He could have maybe gone and lived a happier life somewhere that wasn't the site of his adolescent and childhood bullying, you know, where Mm -hmm. he didn't make some terrible mistakes as well and where he could not be continuously involved with all of these things that do seem to be rather triggering for him and that he does not deal with well and Mm. also he gives up his entire like reputation which I think especially as a Slytherin is important to him just how you know happy he was at the thought of getting a Order of Merlin first class for catching Sirius Black and all Mm. of that and then like to be the one who kills Dumbledore Mm. and... Yeah, it was a costly commitment to make.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I certainly don't imagine that teaching was Snape's lifelong dream and that the 11 years that he taught before Harry even showed up at the school was the happiest thing that he could be doing. But
0: Mm -hmm. he did
1: it because of the possibility of one day needing to protect Harry and needing to be in Hogwarts so that he could become a spy in this most dangerous of ways.
0: For sure. And, you know, like, I think he was obviously most devoted to Lily, but I think it's up to interpretation. But I believe that he also had some commitment to Dumbledore. Mm. And I think he also did change. And he wasn't just like, oh, the only reason I'm not a Death Eater anymore is because of this person that died, and now I have to do this. Like, I don't think that was the
1: case I think I agree I think that he does come to respect Dumbledore and probably through that respect at least initially starts to believe more in his ideas I know that at one point right after this he hears from the portrait of Phineas Nigellus, who uses the term mudblood and he tells him not to use that term and mm-hmm. this is while they're stuck in the office there's no one around he's performing for this is as yeah. genuine as he can kind of be and and I think that, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He He's changed, at least in some ways. He's clearly still abusive, believes that talent and intelligence are, are more important than other kinds of things, but I, I think that he uh, his respect and commitment to Dumbledore is, is important, too.
0: He's problematic in ways that aren't neo-Nazi-esque. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's many ways to be a jerk, and he, he fulfills a few of them.
0: Yeah, he, he's problematic in... Not ideological ways anymore in the same way that he was before.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, we should probably get into our analysis generally. And I don't believe you brought Snape as your character, right? What what character did you want to talk about?
0: I decided on Professor Minerva McGonagall.
1: Oh, wonderful. She
0: has so many great things about her. And I think commitment Mm. is something that I do see so strongly in her. I think... That we get to see her commitment to being a fair head of house when Mm. she does things like take 50 points away a piece from Harry, Hermione, and Neville and like gives them detention in the first book. Mm -hmm. Because we know that she is committed to Gryffindor. She doesn't want to take those points away at all. But (laughs) she does because she is trying to be fair. I think... Because of her commitment to Gryffindor, though, I think that she does get herself into some ethically questionable positions. Also in first year, she gets Harry on the Quidditch team, even though first years are not allowed, and then buys him a Nimbus 2000, which, you know, come on, McGonagall, like that's not really (laughs) appropriate for the head of house to buy the newest and like best most expensive model for a student that shouldn't even be playing on the team mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: but I mean also obviously all students should have the same broom who are playing on these teams yeah, Or right. at least the school should provide, like, scholarships for those who need it so that everybody can have the same equipment. You know, it seems like a basic thing, but I, I digress. That's that's a whole other issue.
1: <laughs> we could, yeah, we could go into the, the fairness of sport in Harry's world and, and have a whole thing there.
0: But would we want to? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But I think we also see Professor McGonagall's commitment to student safety Mm. supersede her commitment to Gryffindor House. For example, when she took Harry's firebolt away to check for curses and she's like, I don't know if it's going to be done in time for your match. It'd be great, but this is more important. Mm -hmm. And I think also an absolutely wonderful moment (laughs) is when we see her commitment to student welfare when she fights Umbridge on Harry's eligibility to pursue being an Auror.
1: One of my favorite moments of all time.
0: It was excellent. <laughs>
1: and so good.
0: I think you know although obviously there was a bit of her just delighting in you know these jabs she can do because <laughs> Umbridge is one of the most annoying people in the world but I think that there definitely still was that she's committed to looking out for her students welfare and if that makes her come to a head with one of the most powerful people in the government she'll do that Hmm. and lastly I think we get to see her commitment along with the other professors who stayed in year seven we get to see that everything was terrible and they couldn't teach properly and they had to witness this sanctioned abuse every day and they still stayed to support the students and when the battle came they were on the front lines of fighting that and in kind of the last sequence of of fighting before Harry comes to head with Baltimore it's you know McGonagall along with, I think, Slughorn and Kingsley, is fighting Voldemort directly. And Mm. yeah, I think she's just a very committed person, a very committed professor.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that that's, she's such a great character for this. And her her commitment to the well-being of her students, I think, does shine through so much. Where she can be strict and foreboding, but... You never see her as a villain the same way you see Snape as a villain or, or, or many of the other professors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, another example that came to my mind as you were talking was her telling Neville that he should stick with charms, even if his grandmother thinks that it's a soft option. Mm-hmm. And, you know, helping him to feel better and, and more confident in his abilities in this way, I think that is so powerful. Especially for a character like Neville, but I think that having someone like Professor McGonagall say that, I can't imagine how how important that was for for him and his where he was in his life.
0: Yeah, I do. Th- I do wish that. I mean, I love McGonagall, and I think she does a lot of things right, but I think she does do some things wrong sometimes, mm. which I think is good that they show it because no person can always make every decision correctly. Mm-hmm. And so you know it. it humanizes her but I do wish that when in the second book when Ron had broken his wand that she hadn't just been like "Ah, this needs replacing because it's not like she doesn't know their family so what do we need to do to get you a new wand yeah that she does a lot of things well but she could always do better
1: yeah yeah and and this is making me think for the first time about how she is both a active member of the Order of the Phoenix and an educator. And I think that that's amazingly important. I think that having activists and people who believe in social justice and put the work into social justice organizations in academia is really important. That they're not necessarily trying to radicalize or politicize their students but that they recognize that academia is political and that they bring that into a classroom I think isn't really important and so I think that having that is, is something that I'm, I'm actually really interested in and, and, and seeing but I think that that shows a commitment to her students and to the values that she sees and, and and refusing to say that just because she's committed to one she can't be committed to the other
0: yeah yeah true although this is a strangely covert activist organization.
1: True. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which kind of seems to go against the whole idea of activism. But
1: <laughs> it's, it's certainly not a perfect metaphor. <laughs> yes,
0: indeed. But I guess, what plot point do you have to bring?
1: Yeah, actually, my plot point has to do with the Order of the Phoenix. As I was thinking about commitment in the series, I, I really kept coming back to how in the Deathly Hallows, the members of the Order continue to be committed to its cause and to Harry in particular, even when they are left leaderless and and often and basically left in the dark, where they don't know Dumbledore's plan and they don't know exactly how how you might be able to defeat Voldemort. Even as the the Wizarding War turns into more of a revolution, they remain committed to this fight and to the ideals that it comes with. And and again, to, to Harry, I think and that's really, really important too. The idea that Remus and Shacklebolt, their code for each other is believing in Harry. The last thing that, that Dumbledore said was that Harry is the best hope that we have and that they have to trust him. And the desire and the willingness of everyone to have the seven Harrys there, where they choose to put themselves into danger to help protect Harry. Even the small rebellions and the continued activism of Potter watch maintaining communication and that kind of rebelliousness no matter how dangerous that is I think is is really really powerful and, and we see how characters are are willing to die both in the kind of abstract sense of we are going to be doing dangerous things for this cause even though it's dangerous even though we might, into fights with Death Eaters, even though people might die or I might be caught and now this corrupt ministry might take me and and do awful things to me and my family, I'm still going to do it. But also when they literally know they're going to die, where Dumbledore and Harry themselves both knowingly go to their deaths. And and Snape, I think, is as we talked about earlier, another good example of someone who kind of puts themselves in really knowing danger. So yeah, I just I think that, that there's a lot of interesting Elements there where we see these these characters who are part of what is originally a secret society. It eventually becomes a little bit more known in the Half Blood Prince. But even after Dumbledore dies, even after Snape seems to betray them and Harry disappears, there's always that that commitment and that hope that comes with it. And and I just think that that's really powerful, uh, particularly because we don't see a lot from their perspective since we're we're following Harry around, so we don't know exactly what it's like for someone to have spent nine months without seeing Harry and what that's like. And and, I mean, don't even get me started on Neville in Hogwarts, (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting too. The Order of the Phoenix was around the first time Voldemort Mm. was there. And I like how they have kind of like a commitment to their history as well Hmm. because they didn't oh well we're gonna rebrand now because the old one most of the members died (laughs) and that's like a big downer and it's not a great recruitment technique you know (laughs) they're still calling themselves the order of the phoenix and they still have you know this picture of all of these people who are some of them are dead or in saint mungo's no one is disguising how dangerous the situation is and, and what being a part of it could mean. And you see that it becomes such a site of contention in in the fifth book where mm-hmm. Harry's like, I'll join. And Mrs. Weezy's like, "Uh, no, you are children. Mm-hmm. You should not be involved in this and like I understand I I mean like Harry since a lot of this stuff involves him I could see telling him some things but this is a 15 year old I would not let a 15 year old be involved in an organization that people if you're a part of it and if you know this information may get tortured and murdered mm. but Sure, Harry needs to be privy to some of the information because obviously when Harry doesn't know, bad things can happen. Also, when (laughs) Harry does know, bad things can happen. (laughs) Don't know. I feel like Hermione should be allowed to be in the (laughs) meeting and then she can choose what to tell the
1: others.
0: (laughs) Yes, so Hermione's the 15-year-old. That would be okay there.
1: Basically. Because she understands what is an overcommitment as well. And Harry does not.
0: I think she understands that in a danger sense, maybe. She does not understand that in an academic sense.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. Hermione really does overcommit to... Does she spend any time doing anything fun? She's a child.
0: She knits hats for elves that don't want them (laughs) i
1: guess that's true yeah but even that you could say is that's her being that's her doing activism and it's (laughs) oh hermione
0: every once in a while she'll go to hogsmeade and have a butterbeer. that's true yeah she she's mostly just the responsible slash anal one which i understand i I get you hermione
1: (laughs) (laughs) well why don't we move into our compelling questions
0: yeah, so my question for you is where you see in the series examples of commitment that aren't quite as obvious. So, so I think being a member of the Order of the Phoenix, obviously you have to have strong commitment like we were just talking about. But where do you see commitments that are maybe more subtle or more easily overlooked
1: in the series? Hmm, interesting one one that kind of comes out and I don't know if this would be the best way to frame it but I wonder if you could say that Draco is committed to his family and to mm. the status of his family he comes in and has this performative Malfoyness where he maybe feels that he has to be a presence as a Malfoy and maintain that legacy in a way that that I think is is a strong commitment and and you can really see that in book 6 when he's you know having to kill Dumbledore and Clearly not feeling great about it.
0: Yeah, and he's like, if I don't do this, he's going to kill my parents and me. Yeah, so... that one,
1: literally making manifest that that idea of committing commitment to his family.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I was also thinking of a situation regarding Draco, but a very different one because I think he's very committed to being a butt to Harry. I think
1: they're committed to being butts to each other.
0: I mean, that's true. That's very true. Like, he figured out the magic necessary to enchant those buttons <laughs> to make them change from, like, Cedric Diggory, the real Hogwarts champion, hmm. to then, say, Potter stinks, which unfortunately his. uh commitment to high quality insults was not high that day because of all things you could put on that button potter stinks is is not the best of them
1: well you know you know what it really is is that draco is committed to craft where he took the time to figure out how to make this enchantment and and how to make this great secret changing button. And then he's like, oh, I I don't have any more time. I need to do this. Uh, Same with the (laughs) Weasley is our King song. He had to craft this. He had to get everyone to understand exactly what the words are, be able to sing together on tune. He was probably like a conductor in the Slytherin common room, just going all deep into creating this artistic masterpiece that oh also it has to be insulting because that's important too
0: that's true <laughs> a highly committed boy
1: highly committed to to the art
0: <laughs> i guess until he's not right until he's like uh i'm gonna be a death eater this is great oh wait it's not get me out of here i'm gonna lie about harry potter being in my manner so yeah yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, that is, I think, one of the interesting things, though, is, is a lot of the things that, that come to my mind here, I'm wondering, is, is that commitment or is that loyalty?
0: I think the buttons is commitment. Yeah. The family part, I'm not sure. I think in that scenario where he was repairing the Vanishing Cabinet and knew that he might die or go to Azkaban or something if he tried to kill the Dumbledore and failed... I think loyalty is wrapped up in it. For example, when his father was arrested and imprisoned in Azkaban, hmm. he was still loyal to his father, even though he had fallen from grace. Hmm. So there's loyalty there, and I think probably a secondary house will be half But I think part of it was a commitment because he knew that he might not make it out of this, but he was he was going to try anyway, and he was gonna try to do whatever it took to see it through.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a really important part of that idea of commitment is is you're driven and you're motivated to do the work for whatever this thing that maybe you're loyal to, maybe you believe in, but the commitment comes from, I think, that drive and that motivation for sure. Mm. On that note, I think there's a certain commitment from Dumbledore to his employees. You see, for example, when Chalani gets fired, what he does to keep her, and, and, and even hiring her to begin with when she only makes very rare actual predictions.
0: See, that's interesting. You're looking at it so much more positively. To me, he's not so much committed to Trelawney as he is to seeing the end of Voldemort. And since she had made the prediction about Harry and Voldemort, he had to protect her. He couldn't just let her go out into the world because, again, that would be dangerous. To me, at least, I think that Dumbledore's primary commitment is to destroying Voldemort once and for all, and, like, that commitment supersedes all other commitments he has. I think that also includes the whole student body of the school that he's supposed to be managing. He will put that as secondary or third or whatever it is because... The point is this end goal.
1: I I totally agree. But I think that just because you have two commitments that at times might be competing doesn't mean you can't be committed to both. One might have a higher priority, but I think that he still is committed to to treating his workforce well. I think that his discussion with Dobby, where he offers him more money than Dobby asks for or is comfortable with, shows this, that he, I think he's committed to this idea of justice. The, admittedly, this is probably just on my mind because I just read a whole book about labor organizing and things like that and how most companies are not great at treating their employees. And I'm like, most course, companies aren't
0: good it. Train their employees well?
1: Companies or organizations, I should say. As as you well know, and as (laughs) anyone who's following education right now should know, that uh, schools are not always the best for their employees. And whether whether it's the best thing pedagogically all the time is also debatable. But for even, you know, giving Hagrid the teaching position, I think shows commitment to, you know, you could say upper mobility within an organization or whatever it might be.
0: Shows more commitment to... Hagrid than it does to the student body.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think that that's just an interesting uh, an interesting element that, that kind of came to my mind. What, what examples yeah. are you thinking of, though?
0: Yeah, I was also thinking about Slughorn and mm-hmm. how he kept refusing to join the Death Eaters, basically to the point where he was jumping from Muggle House to Muggle House, mm-hmm. trying to avoid them, which I think shows a lot of commitment mm-hmm. because... You can only refuse the Death Theatres so many times. (laughs) And I think that also he shows a lot of gumption to to stay and fight in the battle. And he's also along with McGonagall, one of them that is directly battling with Voldemort. And I Mm. think after having this person having been like your star pupil and then just being like no I could he I, he likes power he likes well at least he likes being associated with powerful people mm. he likes status all of that but I think he has a stronger commitment to some of his ideals which are not the death eater ideals so then when Tom Riddle became Voldemort he turned his back on him and never went back on that hmm. Another one that I was thinking about is Harry. Uh, obviously, his commitment in so many different ways and throughout the series, but I think his commitment to mercy and nonviolence is just always really moving to me. Where he gave Voldemort a chance to change in that final confrontation, and even still used Expelliarmus mm. as his last defense against him. And I think. Yeah, that just shows so much commitment to his ideals. Yeah. There's so many courageous acts that Harry does. I, I feel like that kind of last one and, like, the commitment behind it is sometimes overlooked.
1: Absolutely. And and honestly, that actually kind of leads into my question for you, if that's okay. Yeah. Because I totally agree, and we, we see certainly by the end that Harry is so committed to the cause to his ideals and to all these other kinds of things but I was wondering as our main character what do you see as Harry being committed to before Voldemort comes back
0: I mean the first book is a little difficult to say because Voldemort was like sort of trying to come back mm. blah 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 but I think he's definitely committed to his friends even from the beginning, he's like, oh, I'll go. You all, you all can stay back. And they're like, uh, no. <laughs> and he does that throughout, right? <laughs> the series. <laughs> but I think he writes them letters. He buys them gifts. He, especially, we see him help Ron out with some money stuff in ways that don't make Ron feel self-conscious about it. Hmm. And I think... Hermione, I mean, from that first instance where they ended up becoming friends, they weren't friends yet, but he cared about her, and I think there's maybe a part of, yeah, just his kind of moral code that Hmm. he is really committed to, and he will stand up to the Dursleys in a lot of situations, even if he gets punished for it, Hmm. or he'll refuse draco's hand not that, that kind of sounds like hand in marriage but, <laughs> um, <laughs> because he said a classist comment to ron and so i think mm-hmm. yeah i think he's quite committed to his moral code and i think he's quite committed to trying to save people and help people even from the beginning with Neville kind of encouraging him, being like, you're worth ten of Malfoy. And granted, he was laughing about the situation Neville was in until he heard that Malfoy put him in the mm-hmm. leg lock jinx. But <laughs> he, I think he, do, he doesn't like seeing people bullied or taken advantage of, so he'll put whatever on the line to, to stand up to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, it, 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 maybe it, it could be seen as kind of a commitment to fairness because you also see that where where he doesn't like it when people have privilege or power over others. You, you see that with the way that he interacts certainly with the Weasleys, but also with the Dursleys, the way that he tells Cedric about the dragons. Yeah. Yeah, he'll stand up for for what he believes in and when he thinks that things are unfair, he, he won't abide by that.
0: Well, yeah, they've been... Where he's going to secretively free Dobby. hmm This person who has caused him a lot of grief, even if it was well-meaning, you know? Because, <laughs> yeah, he just, he really can't stand it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that, that came to my mind was Quidditch. We don't see Harry care about really anything else as much as he cares about Quidditch. He is fine making up things for his assignments and, and doing them last minute, but Missing a Quidditch practice is a big deal for him, and and he will rearrange his schedule and and do what he can to ensure that he can go there. And I I think that for him, that he's more committed to Quidditch than he is to being a good student, certainly.
0: (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) And, yeah, he's fine coming into danger (laughs) Mm -hmm. to, to play the the match even after the rogue bludger or even if his broom could potentially be cursed or whatever it is. Yeah and
1: and look at his lessons with Lupin too. It's in some ways precedented by the fact that Dementors came out onto the pitch.
0: Yeah yeah. He started out quite committed to Quidditch but then in year five (laughs) that commitment to Fairness or rightness, his own moral code, could...
1: Gets, uh, gets in the way a little bit?
0: Yeah, it superseded the, <laughs> the commitment to Quidditch. And then also, I mean, in, in year six, the great line that Harry was... Started caring less and less about Quidditch because he was quickly becoming obsessed with Draco Malfoy, who wasn't doing Quidditch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that yeah. was... He was committed to it from years one to three before it (laughs) didn't happen, and then it kind of just dropped off a little bit.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) And he still, like, cares peripherally, but, like, not as much about as other things happening
1: in his life. Well, and and that's why I was asking this question, because I feel like there really is a a change at the end of year four, with Cedric's death in particular, and with Voldemort being a, a really visceral threat in a way he wasn't, mm-hmm. where that forces Harry to grow up and to reevaluate his commitments and his priorities in ways I think that are, are really, really powerful. And and when I think about Harry's commitments, uh, like you you mentioned, a lot of the things I think about are his final decisions and, and what he does and the choices he makes near the end of the series. But yeah, I think that, that looking back at, at the foundational commitments that we see him have in the early books is also an interesting way to look at it too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and which kind of begs the question, what would he be committed to after the war?
1: Such a good question, yeah.
0: There's all sorts of stuff, potentially Pottermore-ish, or, you know, if if you want to read the Cursed Child as canon, but it is interesting to see how much Voldemort became just the predominant part of his life.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really interesting question.
0: Compelling, almost.
1: Uh, I would say so, yeah. <laughs>
0: Thought-provoking and dissatisfying.
1: <laughs> Instead of getting into our compelling head cannons, why don't we go into our missed opportunities?
0: Okay, so I was thinking about how I really wish that we saw more of a connection between commitment and magic. Hmm. Because I think that we don't really see a consistent correlation between commitment to studies and then how good students are at magic. And when the wrong ingredient could like make a potion lethal or an unpracticed spell could knock someone out or, or worse magic is really serious and you think it should be taken seriously Mm -hmm. and you think that it would need a lot of training and if you're not committed to that training it would have disastrous effects and I don't think that we always see that and I think also this idea of having to really mean a spell Mm. can be a bit of a commitment in a way. I think it's an interesting idea but it really only seems like it's the case a very small amount of the time or only for a couple spells and we see like some spells seem to need practice and other spells you can just oh he read Sectumsempra a bunch of times and now he like throws this curse out and means it and it works versus how much training he needed to do for his Patronus. It's not just like oh I'm willing it real hard. And then that means the Dementors aren't going to suck your soul out. Uh, I don't think that's just how it works. And Mm. so there definitely could have been more fleshing out of that. And I also think that in all kinds of fictional work, we get to see a type of blood magic or something where a spell costs something. So you have to really be committed to do it and i think we see a little bit of that with dumbledore having to like cut his hand to Mm. enter the cave but i guess i guess i wish that we got to see more of that and like you know it doesn't have to be in a creepy way like that necessarily but i don't know I, i i just think that there is a lot of potential for different elements to be woven into the magic of Harry Potter mm-hmm. to just make it a little more complete so it could be like you know the fidelius charm can fade if the secret keeper's resolve fades or maybe there's some type of magic that people can only learn if they make certain commitments to a particular sect or you know it's something like that I just I just think it could have been really interesting to see more intersection between commitment and magic and how that affects both of those
1: yeah yeah we really only see it when it's narratively relevant or, or narratively useful where it adds mm-hmm. drama to a specific spell or something by saying oh you need to mean it and you need to need to be committed to it in that way i think that, that the unbreakable vow is a really good example of that mm-hmm but You're absolutely right. This is, I think, helping to kind of poke more holes into the magic system that that J.K. Rowling created because there is no real determination then that your intent matters for most spells. Sectumsempra, he has no idea what it's going to do other than the fact that it might, that's going to cause damage in some way. It's for enemies. But if Harry knew exactly what would happen, there's no way he would be committed to that spell. I mean, and
0: someone could make the argument that, like, it wasn't the intention for the cutting as much as it was the intention for the violence.
1: I suppose.
0: But, yeah, I mean, you have to make the argument because the argument isn't there. And, like, I don't know. I, I would much rather have more narrative and less of the logistics of the magic system because they're definitely books that are written more like that but they're so much I don't know to me more dry and less interesting <laughs> but I wish there was more <laughs>
1: yeah I I think that a good magic system is well thought out in ways that help to create narrative because so much of the Harry Potter magic system is just literally hand wavy of oh that's the way that magic works
0: wand waving yeah
1: exactly and Foolish I think
0: a- waving. <laughs>
1: A great magic system is one that still utilizes narrative, but that narrative is connected to the foundational properties of that magic system. Um, One that's coming to mind is this podcast I listened to, um, called Campaign Skyjacks where the magic system has a number of different possible focuses it can be just tradition can be a focus and sacrifice as you mentioned can be a focus And that sacrifice can take different forms and and so it, there's still room to play around with but the kind of actual foundation tenets are spelled out just enough where when you play around with it, it actually for me makes it more narratively interesting because you're understanding why this works with the rules and why that's important.
0: And, you know, maybe part of it was that when they these books were first written, it started as children's lit. Totally. And maybe there's a few children out there who would really like a deep dive into the magic system, but uh, it's probably not quite as common. <laughs> but what do you have as your missed opportunity?
1: Yeah, what I would have really liked to see is I would love to see a, a discussion between Arthur and Molly Weasley about their commitments. They clearly have a a family setup that I would hope to see was made thoughtfully and intentionally and not just the trope of, well, he's got a job and she's going to be the stay-at-home mom. That kind of discussion of what it means for her to choose to raise their children and them to choose to have so many children and all these other kinds of things and, and what commitments that means alongside the commitments that Arthur has to not get ahead, as we've talked about in his issues with Percy in previous episodes. He chooses to stay in a department that he enjoys and that he believes in rather than move up. I think that that we see commitments to family, commitments to work, commitments to ideals there that I would have loved to see see hashed out, particularly as they decide to enter the Order of the Phoenix, because they aren't in the First Order, even though... Mm -hmm they were of age, but they had already had some children. And so that was a decision that either they weren't presented with or they didn't make. But I think that seeing them talk about their family dynamics and what it means for Molly to not only continue to raise their children, but also to take over helping out with the house in number four Grimold Place and to become members of the Order of the Phoenix, even though that endangers them and in some sense, their children And, and all these other kinds of Questions I think that get raised, but I think it would have been really, really interesting to see them talk about it or, or even reference a discussion about it. Of when we made the choice to join the order, we did it with these things in mind and these commitments in mind. And again, that's commitments to each other and to their family and and to their ideals and to the order. But but I just or think just that...
0: Harry overhearing it through the door as he eavesdrops on their conversations, like always.
1: Absolutely, which is the hairiest thing in the world. <laughs> I think that would be really fascinating. And particularly as the only family in the order that we see, in the second order, I think that that would just be an interesting conversation to have. I think that's especially true with the, the gendered politics of her being the stay-at-home mom while he goes to work at the government job.
0: Yeah, uh, it definitely would have been interesting. I I have no idea how... If, if I would like it better or worse, depending <laughs> on how that conversation went. Like, our primary commitment is to our family, but now that they're mostly grown up, now we can do this other thing that's, like, important for, like, everyone who is a muggle. You know, all of these other people that you should have been caring about all along, but your commitment was just, like, to your own small life rather than the bigger issues. So, I don't know.
1: For sure. And, and you know, this is our missed opportunity section, so I would hope that it would be done in a good way that is interesting and engaging and responsible, not not a frustrating way. But, yeah, I just I think that would be something to, to add a little bit more nuance to to those choices that they're making that I think are, are important and big choices.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, what is your takeaway?
0: I guess the books do a good job with commitment in so many different ways. But at the same time, I feel like their underlying root is often fighting Voldemort. Mm. I understand why that is because that's what the the books are about. But it would be interesting to see more ways that people had commitments to different things. I mean, I think a, a prime example is Hermione and mm. and her commitment to elfish welfare, and how that added such an interesting other dimension to the books. But yeah, I I think that my takeaway is just that so many of the strong and oftentimes moving commitments we see are, yeah. I'll I'll go back to Voldemort.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think he my, loves my...
0: being the center of attention,
1: doesn't he? <laughs> he really does. Mine is actually kind of similar because I think that, that they do often go back to Voldemort, but I also think that the, a lot, they often go back to Dumbledore. Hmm. I, I'm thinking about that question I raised earlier about commitment versus loyalty. So much of the way that the series frames it, at least, is that it's loyalty to Dumbledore. And Harry gets the sort of Gryffindor in book two because he says that he's loyal to, to Dumbledore. And he tells Scrimgeour that he's Dumbledore's man through and through. And these are, these are all kind of, I think, important moments and... and they call it dumbledore's army all these other these other elements
0: the password is dumbledore even after he's dead
1: yeah yeah and and if if dumbledore wasn't involved be beyond his his planning and his genius if that loyalty to him wasn't involved would there have been a fight against voldemort hmm. Yeah, that's just an interesting question for me of where those commitments to the cause come from for different people. While I I think that most of the characters certainly do have the best ideals, that loyalty is also a really important part of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, do you want to bring up what we'll be discussing next week when we turn to Lord of the Rings?
0: Yeah. So we are going to be looking at Lord of the Rings through the theme of greed.
1: Okay, great. Greed in Lord of the Rings. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. Or you can go to our website at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you can help support the show and get access to all sorts of great additional content. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor-Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!